only Tipa Snow. Uh, a lot of us are obviously everybody, the world is impacted by the coronavirus. There's been a lot of questions on our site, um, people worried about their loved ones. And we thought who better to talk to than Tipa Snow, um, caregiver advisor extraordinaire. Tipa, it's great to see you, unfortunately, though, under these circumstances. Yeah, I wish it were different. It's good to see you, but not like this. Yeah, so Tipa, we, we've seen in the news, um, you know, the reports, uh, we know um, the elderly is most vulnerable to this um, virus. We also know that a lot of people are facing some pretty horrific decisions out there about what to do with their loved ones, um, especially if they're in care facilities. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that, because I know a lot of people are just trying to sort this out. What is the best thing to do? What should I be asking? Um, are they safe? Yeah, so we have three groups. We have people who've been in the community for a while, um, and they're known to the people in the community, and they have relationships. And so that's that's one situation. And so in those situations, what's happening we divide that into families has been intimately involved going in routinely and daily. Um, and now they're being told, no, you can't do that. And it's like, but that's what helps my person be whole and healthy and happy. Um, so not having that, that's a big deal. The second is the person has just moved into the facility recently and they're being put in an even more restricted environment than they would otherwise. And additionally, the family can't see them and they don't know how things are going um, for the person and for the facility. And that's incredibly scary. And then the third is that we have people who are having folks in a facility um, and there is something going on in the facility and they know there's something going on in the facility, but they're not allowed in. And they're not really necessarily getting a lot of good information and they don't know how their person's doing and it's incredibly frightening. And then we have people who, we have a very vulnerable adult fourth category that I didn't even think of when I started the conversation here, is we have a fourth group where people are highly, highly vulnerable, and they're with a partner. They're, there's a spouse pair involved. And we have one that has dementia, much more involved, and then one who has maybe a slight amount of brain change, but is a primary caregiver for that person. And now the two of these folks are in, and family is not able to support in the way that they routinely have supported. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a big dilemma and we're feeling it on our site on being patient with the amount of conversations and anxiety that people are going through. Let's start first with the, the care centers um, because it's this, what we're hearing a lot is this lack of not knowing what's going on. Um, we've heard also people who are actually taking their loved ones out of the care facilities. Um, at this point, I don't know if it's too late or not, just because of all of the um, lockdowns that are going on around the world and in, in different places. But, but you know, um, is is that a right answer? I mean, you know, if, you, if your, your person, your loved one is being taken care of and you don't know what's going on, I can't imagine anything more frustrating and anxiety. Right. And so part of it depends on what your setup is. If you were going to take someone home, how long has it been or have you ever been their primary provider? 
Um, how aware are you of their abilities, inabilities? How many supplies have you got in your in your house already? Because getting additional supplies right now can be a real challenge and finding if you're gonna do home care, who's gonna help you do that? Because many agencies of home care are doing telecare only. Some are still visiting. Some will only visit people they've already been visiting. Some will only have a one care person going to one individual. So you're taking on a, a difficult situation to start with and without preparation and, and awareness, unfortunately you could make it worse worse for both of you for everybody, for everybody involved um, and putting yourself and them at greater risk just for care issues not related to corona because it's not a routine that either of you are used to yeah well i also wanted to talk about i mean i know with my own family my my parents are fortunate enough to have a country home and we wanted them to go to the country home just to be away from more people um but right. My mom didn't want to do it because any change at this point is so overwhelming to her that we couldn't convince her. I mean, we, we felt like it was more of a battle to to change the environment. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a double dilemma there. I mean, what do you do? Do you take control of the situation? So you just say you're going. This is our decision. Or what do you well, do? Yeah, so one of the options would be to say, Mom, I don't have a choice in this. The government is saying we have got to get people to safe places. The only safe place is you guys out there, or otherwise they want you to move into a place that is that would be with a whole bunch of people that you don't know. And it's the government telling us we've got to do something to keep you safe. And it's not my decision, but I want you to would you rather be in the country home or do you just want to go to a hotel somewhere? Because they're saying something has to happen. You can't stay where you are interacting where you're interacting um, because she'll say, well, I'll stay in the house. Well, if she's a connector, she won't. And what you just told me is she likes to connect. <laughs> I mean, she seriously enjoys being with people and she doesn't want to get far away from them, um, which if she's in a space where there's a lot of people, um, she's going to be a high risk for trying to engage people. Yeah. Um, and so that's why you wanted to get her in a space with your people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's, there's no easy way, no matter which way you slice it. Right. No, but if you can convince her that there's an authority beyond you, who's requiring this, you might get further than mom. I want to do it for your own good because it's not good for her. So she don't want to do it. Well, so you know, I have a piece of advice, and you constantly remind us of this, which is to empower people, right? It's like people with give give the person with dementia a decision to make, and you're going to empower them so that they're yeah. more likely to want to do it. And and I love that advice, and I'm guilty; I continuously forget it. Um, but but well, it's you're trying so hard. I mean, it's really hard to remember advice when you're in the middle of like, but mom, listen. <laughs> you can just you're just like oh, yeah trying not to lose it absolutely so what are you telling people um wh who are caring for their loved ones at home how best to navigate this um all i mean you know a lot of it is just the the information is just coming at you incessantly you know it's you can't escape it right and so it's hard. It's it's really hard. I mean, even in my own life, I'm you know everyone's. It's all about COVID nineteen, and sure um, 
it's what's some of what's some sage give me some some good tipa sage advice yeah so we need to create a dead zone i mean there needs to be a dead info zone um there's got to be a space and a place where we go where this is the world we're in that world is not part of our world right now and i need to be able to take myself there as much as i have you there and so i ask you to help me with things and you know the TVs are turned around, the the wire stuff is off because if I can't get myself there and I can't detach myself from this high distress in the world, then I can't be present with the person who needs me to take it down a level and turn it off. And so I've got to have what I call the dead zone where we aren't doing any of that stuff at all. And I have in my mind five things five options that we can possibly try out in this space. Um, hey, mom, do you remember the song? Um, it's from a musical. And I can't remember if it was My Fair Lady or if it was Oklahoma. But it was like, all I want is a room somewhere. Which one? Do you, do you remember which one that was? I was going to say, wow, and you can sing too. Oh, yeah, wow. I can make a joyful noise. So I think, you know, for me, what it is, is giving myself permission to give five minutes to plan something and five minutes to enact it so that in that space and in that time, it's just us. It is just truly us being together and finding joy in being together. And if all we ever have is this moment, well, that'll be a good one. Um, and then if I need a break to come back and figure out what's going on, what do I need to be worried about next? Um, then when I'll say, Hey mom, can you do me a big favor? Would you sort these for me? And I'll be right back. I need to go check something in the living room, but before I come back into this zone, I need to prepare myself to enter that space without anything coming with me. I need to dump everything on before I head in. So I need to go through my next thing. What is the thing I said I was going to do? Okay, so here I am. I'm present and I'm ready. And I think the tricky part is when um, families have multi-generations in the house, which um, because the kids are out, the, the older adults there, the people living, I mean, everybody is on top of each other also. So maybe even looking at when is it time for an activity where we all can engage and when do we need this quiet space for this person and when does the kid need it for that activity but really starting to look harder because day services have been suspended nutritional services have been suspended cafes have been suspended everything that people are used to filling this time and many people are still having to work from their home <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's really it's bad with kids. Like, and it's even worse if you have parents you have to look after. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah, it's a recipe for um, a lot of arguments. Uh, so, what? Tell me what? Yeah, people, tell me what people are saying to you. Like, what what are you picking up as the biggest concerns? Because you're in touch with a lot of caregivers. Um, what what are some of the questions that you're getting? Yeah. So. I mean, what do I recommend? I mean, one of the things is how do I help the health professionals who are coming in make sure that they're safe when they're going to work with my person? And when somebody's in a facility, 
you can. And so that's one of those things I've got to say, okay, I, I need to let go of any guilt that's associated with that because you're not in charge right now. So what can you do? Can you do some phone calling? Can you do Zoom? What can you, is there a way for you guys to connect um, so that you get a chance to at least look at your person, sing to your person, be with them for a little bit? Um, because that's a huge concern. Uh, and yet the honest answer is, we can't control it. If you can't control it, worrying about controlling it is just wearing you out and not putting you in a good place to be when you can be with the person, even if it's remotely. Um, the second I'm hearing is frail spouses feeling like, or family members, the person is at high risk and they do get the disease. Um, the fear that they will not be able to close off a person's life with them and, and complete it. I think the lack of what I see right now is reasonable plans for palliative care for people who are highly vulnerable and they do contract the disease. When and how are those conversations being had about do we keep working on cure given that we're talking about having to get or on a respirator and having to do intensive care. And we're at a place in the condition where she didn't want extraordinary means. And so how can I be with her? Um, as the, I mean, and that's, I mean, these are really yeah. awful. That's horrible. I, I couldn't even imagine being in that situation. And I'm sure and it's- have people know that we have them there right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that's like. Um, and, you know, not, I mean, the, I, I love, uh, someone just wrote in a comment and is obviously uh, working at an assisted living facility. And she said that we use FaceTime and Skype for families to stay in touch with residents, which, you know, is great if you can do that. And I would say if you're not offered that, then maybe recommend that to you because everybody has a laptop or a iPad these days or a phone. Tablet. Yeah, something. Yeah. And so if you can set it up, if you can get, a, I mean, if the person doesn't have a tablet, now may be a time to invest in the tablet, load it up, get it ready to roll, and then, you know, sanitize it and send it in. So all that has to happen, I can call you, like Zoom, for instance, is one where I can call you and all you have to be able to do is go click and, and then I've got you and I'm the host so I can help you. We can look at things together. We can, um, and some people are even playing games. Yep. We just had someone else write in saying we have some families sending emails and we print them and read them with our residents. We've also had our residents write on um, a dry erase board and we send the photo uh, to the family via email. That's lovely. Our families are loving, um, loving this and they're obviously from an assisted living community. It's huge. I mean, so that not getting information is one of the biggest, scariest things because you're counting on somebody um, doing something and you don't have any idea whether it's happening. I think one of the groups that is really challenged right now is if I was a part of your daily care routine and I'm not there, I was the only one that was doing it and I was the only one that really she would allow to do that or he would allow to do that because of our relationship. And that anxiety for families is huge. Yeah. So where I would use Skype then is find the community and say, 
who among your caregivers could I show? And then use that time with mom and the caregiver saying, mom, I can't be there. I've asked Deborah to help today. Um, and she's gonna do your teeth the way we do them, okay? So she's gonna get the toothbrush and do it. And I hate that I'm not there, but she she can do this. And so it's, it's what it is, is it used to be us. Oh, let me see if I can get my fingers in the right place. It used to be us. I can't be there. So it's going to be like this if we don't figure out how to bring that caregiver. But it has to be a relationship where the three of us are talking together a little bit before I turn her over so that I'm not there, but they're still in the mix. So the two of them are going to be able to work this out. Right. Um, so we have a question also saying, any, this is a lovely question, any other suggestions for things to send like care packages um, since we can't visit? Yeah, so one of the things we want to send things that can be sanitized on the way in and are, are able to be done right away. So one of the things to do is to send a packet of cards, of, of greeting cards that the person could write messages in and put in on and then send labels uh, for people that they could send them to. And then you send a, a letter that has, hey mom, I have a big favor to ask. Would you sign these and send these out? Um, you know, I'd really love to get a message to these folks. If the person is able to do that, or if with help they could do it, now we have something that we're sending in that they can do that they can send back out. So again, it's this in and out and sharing kind of thing. Um, even yeah. if, you know some, if you know some activities they tend to enjoy that are one-on-ones that you used to do when you visited, that would be a great list of five things of, these are things that mom and I've done when I visited, I can't visit. Would you be willing to do one of those things for a few minutes? And if you could send me a picture or a video, that would be so cool to see yeah. her and get you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, um, you know, the long-term memory is often still intact. So older photos of, you know, childhood pictures, whatever I think could be comforting. Um, someone else has asked, um, what are some of the programs um, we can do while practicing social distancing? So if you, if you have to, so if you have to be a part, what can you do? So some of the things that we can do is, for instance, I'll go online and I'll look up landmarks from around the world. If I have somebody who's a world traveler or types of tools, if I have a gentleman that's been a tool collector and I'll, I'll say, hey, dad, I want to show you a picture. Could you help me with this? What What is this thing called? Is this a, a is this one? A, is it a, a Phillips head screwdriver or a standard screwdriver? and make sure you can see it. And then it's like, well, that one's a Phillips head. Oh, so now when do they use Phillips head screws? I mean, and so it becomes this thing that we can do and engage. And so visual cues tend to work better than just verbal. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you have the, the option to do Skype or to do, um, to do FaceTime or to do Zoom or, you know, those kinds of things, you're gonna be better off with somebody who can still take in an image and right. process the image. And if not, then it's time to go name that tune, um, looking at music and looking at music recognition, using songs, a playlist, sending in a playlist 
um, being able to put together something and you can send that via internet uh, as a playlist. It could be you could do short little shorts of things that you know they like to watch, um, little YouTube shorts, something along that line, send those in so there's something for them to engage with. Um, and you might also want to be thinking about soft things or swatches of fabric that it, you, you've sanitized and you get them in a thing and you send them in so the person can sort those out. Um, squares or poker chips or could you sort these for me? Um, so the um, this is a this is a really good question, and I think a lot of people face this: is um, how do we have dementia folks follow the rules of not touching their face? They're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. So we've got to let go of that one. Um, it's a spontaneous. This is a highly sensitive part of the human body, and this is a highly sensitive part of the human body. And the more I'm anxious or nervous or the more I'm losing contact with other human beings, what else am I supposed to do with my hands? I mean, it, I mean, I can maybe offer myself comfort like this. This is a very intense, one of the very first things babies ever do in the world, yeah. even before they're in the world. And we're saying, get them not to do that. That's not gonna happen. And so letting go of that as a regulation, you wouldn't ask a two-year-old not to do it. I mean, the idea that we can regulate behavior of someone who's in brain failure um, to not do a habitual behavior that is based on a sensory need is illogical. Right. <laughs> well, and then just as a, as a follow-up, and I could see this being a dilemma, um, another viewer says, um, my husband uh, is nonverbal and we, we rely on touch. Any ideas? I mean, in a time where you know, you're not supposed to touch. Yeah, um, use hand sanitizers, um, use long sleeves, and put on a pair of gloves. Um, if you'll tolerate the gloves, and if not, know that your risk is higher, but make a choice. I mean, I think what we have to, I mean, honestly, we've got to quit assuming that there's a right and there's a wrong. It's, it's, it's a higher risk, but then again, I'm not sure there's a no risk situation. So I think it's a lower risk. And for somebody who needs touch to communicate, if we rob them of that, we may be reducing risk for this virus. I'm not sure we're improving the risk of staying alive. I mean, I think we're robbing them of what makes us human beings and having value in living. Yeah, yeah that's a really, really good point, right? Quality of life. I mean, if you yeah. take away that at you know this point, then... Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what is there? I mean, if I can't have any of that, why am I still in this world? Um, and yeah. yes, I mean, those of us who choose that have to recognize the risk we're taking on. And I don't want to expose others to that risk. And so I've got to then, much as you're doing, coming back from where you've been is isolation. But when I'm with my person, I'm with my person. Um, right. And that's the only that's the thing that makes my life complete. And I think people are underestimating. There are some people for whom this, this relationship is the one that is the most important in the world. Yeah. And if they're not here and I didn't touch them before they aren't here, I'm not sure there's more than their life worth living. I have to yeah. live with that, not doing that touching. 
Yeah, and, and someone just wrote in, and it's so true. What you're highlighting is the rules don't always apply to dementia, right? And yep. it's really our responsibility to make the best um, choices given a very difficult time and what right. we think is best for our loved ones. I mean, the rules coming down from authorities are based on people who have full cognition and ability to make choices. And what we've already established is the reason people are in care communities is they were no longer able to do that thing that they used to do as a mature adult. So yeah. expecting that to suddenly pick up and get better during a crisis is irrational. What, what are you hearing from the caregivers, Tipa, who work in some of these facilities? I mean, we, we, I mean, you know, the, the, the amount of risk and, and stress that they're under, I, I can't even imagine what they're going through well, right now. Yeah, and you know, and so the, the challenge is being told to do something that you know doesn't work, isn't helpful. Um, if they were given guidelines of things, well, given that there is this risk, this is the kind of thing that is helpful and is risk reducing. Um, if you're gonna be in this situation, it is intimate care. So let's make sure that when you're there, that you're to the side and you've got your face turned so that if there is contact, it's gonna be more to your side of your face than the front. And when you're in the room, let's make sure that you have their hands with your hands so that you know where their hands are touching. So, I mean, there are practical things that we could be doing to support caregivers in these situations that aren't being done routinely to support them rather than don't have them touch. It's like, keep them in their rooms. When somebody's wanting to go somewhere to try to keep them in their room would require hands-on to help them go back. Um, so care, some of the caregivers in these situations are feeling like people don't get it. They don't get yeah, what yeah. the daily routine is like and what the care is like. It's hard. And I will also say that some care givers are, are working several communities and now they can only be in one community or they still are trying to do for many i mean it's really it's really un it's unsupported care yeah. and that both materials and resources and there's not any lifting up of those amazing people doing what they're doing and supporting them in ways that are helpful there's no organized effort that I can see saying, tell us what would be helpful to you that we can do from out here. Yeah. Um, because we know you're in there trying really hard. Yeah, I, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to basically the basic supplies too. I mean, a lot of people don't have the N95s they need um, to protect themselves, you know, and, and they're dealing with multiple people. Um, and like you said, going from one, one care facility to another, um, it, it's a big problem and it's a huge dilemma um, and one that definitely needs to be addressed. I mean, we've seen what happened and what spiraled in, in Kirkland and Washington was tragic um for for um the people there not only the patients but the people giving care as well sure. and and as more and more people are worried and they're pulling back those who are there are starting to work longer and longer hours with less and less help and we all know that stress and distress cortisol is one of the uh, enemies of the immune system yes and so finding pleasure and joy and support and feeling that lift is critical, but also eating well and, and getting enough hydration. And what starts happening as this, where the spiral comes is, I don't have what I need. I don't have 
this, the, the materials I need to do things. I'm trying to keep people separated. And it's like, okay, so let's, let's figure out how to get rid of some of the things that are no longer helpful or realistic. And let's figure out what we can do with what we have. Um, yeah. Can we go out and get some clear ponchos for people to put on when they're moving from, you know, moving into a room where they have some issues and then that poncho comes off and they have another poncho for the next room so that we're being aware. I mean, things are pretty desperate in some places. I mean, that's the reality. It's not just a little bit bad. It's pretty desperate. It, it, it's, it's, it is. Um, I, I want to address another question that came in because I think it's a really important one. Um, what if your loved one is showing signs of, of COVID-19? I mean, we know, especially in America and in parts of Europe, it's, it's really difficult to de get tests. You're obviously probably going to go to have to go to a hospital. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't heard yet of any place in the U S doing home testing. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, quite possibly they are. Um, but what do you do? Because you're also faced with this dilemma of exposing your loved one if you're taking him to the hospital. So what, what would be well, your Yeah, so our challenge is getting tested. They are setting up some mobile units. The problem is your person can't go on their own. I mean, we're not talking about people who could go and get the test on their own or that if you went with them, you could leave them there and feel okay, well, this will go okay because they'll go ahead and transfer them over to the emergency room because the weights and the what are we gonna do with people and setting up these mobile areas. Um, one, of the th one of the questions is how far into the condition are they? Are they compromised in other ways? Um, what finding out if you see symptoms, finding out what's going on in your region or your area or your town or your your specific situation before you move forward. So you're moving forward with intelligence. Uh, what's the situation at hospitals? Uh, where are they treating COVID-19 now? Where are they not? What happens when people come in? Uh, is it better to stay where you're at or is it better to seek treatment? And I don't have the answer. I just know that for some people with more advanced dementia, we are gonna wanna be asking ourselves really hard questions along that line. And they are not easy questions, nor are there easy answers. Yeah. Because getting them to the system when they don't have the ability to speak for themselves and putting them in a system where the expectation is stay in your room, behave and do this. Yeah. And then tolerate treatments, IVs, which we know are challenging even without the infection control precautions that are in place with COVID-19, which are extreme. Yeah. I mean, extreme. Um, um, I wanted to address, I mean, we, we're talking um, a lot about the later stage of dementia with people in care facilities, or um, but I wanted to address earlier stages because one of the things that we're hearing a lot about is the isolation and loneliness. People are having a really hard time. Um, we've had several people with early onset tell us that they're finding this time particularly hard because they're very social people. They're active people. And you know, they're not supposed to be going out, going and social distancing and everything. So that's tending to lead to a lot of anxiety and, and depression. It is. I mean, and the 
Plus is there are some online communities of people living with dementia who have already connected with one another and there's Dementia Action Alliance and there's Dementia International and there's Dementia Mentors. So if people have not connected to those yet, I would strongly encourage whoever's around in the life to help somebody get connected. It allows socialization in those settings. Um, and so you are socializing on a daily basis often, these folks are getting together. Um, what I would also say, however, is we have two groups of folks. One group who really wants to know what's going on and try to get a handle on it. One group who doesn't want to deal with that and they just want to live well in the moment. And so figuring out which group your person is in and helping support them where they are. If they need to ask the question, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. And they need to be refreshed a lot and then supported into a new conversation. That's one social support system that is needed for that individual. If, on the other hand, they don't want to talk about it, they want to focus on something else, they want to not deal with it, then we need a social support system that's going to allow them to do that. And these two folks, do this group of people do not fit well right now. And that comes from people living with dementia who says, don't put me in rooms with people who just want to talk about this stuff. Yeah. And somebody else says, we need to talk about this. Who will talk about it with me? Yeah, it's that's great advice. That really is. And I mean, I think the key takeaway from today is really just, you know, you need to make your best decisions according to your situation um, with, of course, safety in mind, but all the rules don't necessarily apply to dementia. And so it really is, you know, weighing your options and, and taking the best way forward. I mean, this is not easy for anyone and it's 10 times as more complicated if you have a loved one with dementia or you yourself um, have been diagnosed, it just gets more complex. So Tipa, I really can't thank you enough. Um, I don't think there's a piece of bad advice you've ever given. So we love coming back to you um, on all topics, but I know in particular, this one um, is on everybody's mind. So your insights into this have been immensely helpful. Thank you so much. For sure, absolutely. And if anybody, you know, we're trying to get some more videos out repeatedly on our website. So how do you talk to mom on the phone? So, so those sorts of things. So we have some practical things that that might be helpful. So feel free to jump on over to our place if, if you want to follow up or you have some more That's tipasnow.com. Is, is that right? At tipasnow.com? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Tipa. And as always, we will always post these um, interviews on beingpatient.com um, for you to watch. Um, and we will continue with our COVID um, coverage on COVID-19 um, throughout this week and for extended period of time. Um, we're going to be talking to a lot of experts on um, addressing depression, um, psychological problems, um, and um, we're going to do a deep dive report into um, nursing home um, care facilities and things you should know. So stay with us on beingpatient.com. Thanks so much for wa watching and we'll see you next time.